Raw Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tip industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. Welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast, and this is the closest we are ever going to get to a live podcast. I'm basically going to talk to my guest and then flip it and put it online. So hopefully I don't say anything dumb because I'm not going to have time to cut it out this time. I've got Michael Coleman from Base Clef Marketing or just Base Clef? Base Clef Marketing. See, I wrote down Base Clef and not marketing. Base Clef Marketing. You may recognize him. He's been in the industry a long time. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So we keep bumping into each other. We saw each other at the Master Spa Dealer Conference a few weeks ago, and then also at the Pool Spa Patio Expo the week before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I tend to go through all the different channels and work more for dealers than manufacturers. So I find myself in all kinds of positions. <laughs> that was the thing, like thinking about who I wanted to have on to talk about the show and everything that went on there this last week or week before last. I wanted to find someone who was brand agnostic and you fit the bill because you've worked for and sold and been around the manufacturer bush, I guess. <laughs> I've, I've definitely been at it over 20 years and enjoy our industry for sure. Enjoy helping dealers and the end users and find myself, though I've been on both sides of the wholesale and retail world, falling more towards the consumer side and direct retail, maybe just because I talk so much that a lot of the, a lot of my colleagues call me the spa fesser. So, uh... <laughs> I like that. The spa fesser. <laughs> um, well, before we dive into the show, could you just give us a little bit of your background for people who maybe don't bump into you five times a year like I do? Sure. Uh, my, uh, my background in the industry is unique. I started with my uncle who was in road sales many years ago, over 20 years ago, selling. Got into ownership of retail stores, uh, which we sold, went into manufacturing, repped Europe for a while, and then uh, started a company some years ago providing staff for dealers at events and home shows, fairs, done a number of product launches, helped some of the chemical agents and the different products out there, helped some dealers in different spots. A lot of manufacturers or dealers utility knife kind of come in and things. And I like to say I'm not the greatest salesman or the greatest rep or different things. I've just been all over the world and all the good guys do the same thing and all the bad guys do the same thing. So good memory, so more share. Yeah, no, that's so true. And that's why I kind of, that's why I love talking to guys like you who've been in that position because I feel like you know the industry like inside and out, right? Because you've sold it all, you've seen it all, you've been everywhere. And so there's not a whole lot of surprises and not a whole lot of um, skeletons in any closets that you haven't, haven't heard about or seen. <laughs> There's a few of those in the spa industry for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> we won't talk about that one. <laughs> no. Um, and then also, I we, I feel like we should mention too, because we talked about it earlier. So bass clef, you are also a musician. I do play a few instruments. Unfortunately, raising a family on a trombone wasn't a thing. So I had to go out and get a real job. I don't know if hot tub sales count as that, but for... it does. Don't, I think people in the industry like to do that. Oh, I just sell hot tubs. It's no big deal. Meanwhile, it's however millions, doll millions of dollars of business that we're over here in our little hot tub industry. <laughs> 
little small industry, but exactly. All right. So let's talk about the show. And I want to know, first off, do you typically go to the national show and how far back do you remember going to it? Uh, 98 was my first. Okay. Uh, I have been to everyone with the exception mm. of the one in Dallas last year with some family uh, conflicts and whatnot. So I attend them all at both the national trade show and the Atlantic City show Sure, pretty much every year. For relevance in the industry, I think you get some good scuttlebutt uh Part of my sustainability in the spa industry is the ability to project and help dealers say, this is where you should go, this is where you shouldn't go type of things. And the candid conversations you have at the PSP and these shows are great. It's, I quit it part to high school reunion, part to when the sheepdog and coyote take the gloves off. You get people that really won't have a conversation with each other, but at national conventions, they put all the differences aside and really look at the broad scope of the industry. So I, I enjoy a lot of the candid conversations. Yeah, I do too. I feel like um, the places where I learn maybe the most about the industry is when I go to dealer conferences, because I feel like people are the most open at those as to what they're actually dealing with in their stores and with their manufacturer. And a lot of that stuff is things I can't share in the magazine, but it helps me as someone who is trying to write about what's happening in the industry, understand the challenges in a better way. And then the show is a close second because you, again, you do get those candid conversations. You get to see people out of their element a little bit. And yeah, you just get that face-to-face. You just can't really beat it. Sure. Sure. One of the things I noticed uh, about the show is uh, I have, I've, I've worked both the repping and the sales side and just attended shows over the years. Mm-hmm. And I have this uh, time I equate to aisle time. If Anyone who's been there a long time, you can't walk five feet without someone stopping you. If you need to get somewhere, if you have a meeting, yes. you got to hold your head down and, and make it through. And it's the there worst. There's a lot more time uh, this year than than years past, I felt, just catching in and more in-depth, not just the, hey, how you doing, but like real in-depth, hey, I want to ask you about this and that. Yeah, it was interesting because, so I did go to, so my first show was in 2008 and I've been to almost all of them except for when I was having baby. I was at the Dallas show last year and it was interesting because the difference between that show and this one, as far as that aisle time, I feel like the aisle time in Dallas, everyone was just so excited to see each other. There was like just this, ex- just relief and excitement and it's oh I'm back with all of my friends again there was just this overall happiness just to be there and be together but this year the aisle talk was a lot more business focused and a lot more yeah in depth as opposed to just give me a hug I I've missed you and that kind of stuff <laughs> I remember my uh, my first show back out on the road when COVID was opening up a little bit and my wife was telling me that it was I was almost excited to be back yes. here I understand that feeling. No, and it's funny because I don't think trade shows are a lot of work. We all, we exhibit at the national show, and yeah, it's just a lot of work and it's exhausting. And so there's a part of me that sort of always dreads it. But the last couple of years, I've been excited to go for that very reason. It's like I just it's ready to get back out there and see people and see what everyone's been working on behind the scenes during all of this craziness. Sure. Awesome. So a lot of aisle time this year. I think the big thing everyone was talking about, or maybe I was just talking about it over and over again at the show, was just the fact that there were so many spa manufacturers there this year, which they've taken a break from the show. Not everybody. There are some who consistently go, but but yeah, there were all, all, every, it felt like so many people were there this time. 
Yeah, I felt I think there are a number of missions, and I'll try to summarize real quick, broad stroke. For the longest time, we saw the biggest change. We've had side conversations and different things. You found yourself in the haves or have-nots. Did you have product? Did you not have product? And a change where people had dealers around the world had mainstay. This is our brand. We are this brand specific, and now we need products. So they open the doors and whatnot. And other companies that that change those philosophies and market shares changed. So you see reps, manufacturers, when I'm talking about OEMs, trying to regain some market share. Dealers that are over leveraged on product. Some of them that still struggling to get product and whatnot. So I think that change of getting back to normal, for lack of a better term, coming back, I heard a lot of those conversations as to why there were so many companies representing the influx of the import product, I'm going to call it for lack of a better term, coming in. And lots of lots of dealers, I don't know, and I would have to, I'm just speculating. I don't know if there yeah. was a lot of movement on a lot of that because dealers are pretty leveraged in product currently. And then I follow the consumer confidence index pretty religiously when in the hot tub world where that goes. So I think there was a lot of feeling out, a lot of rebranding, trying to summarize a rebranding of, of, of products and regaining their product base. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you bring up a good point, which I feel like we should probably say at the top. Yes, this is pretty much just us speculating and talking about what we saw. So please don't fact check us on this one because I'm going to forget things and get details wrong. And we're just going to, we're just going to roll with it this time around. We're going to make up some details. So. Hey, <laughs> you said it, not me. I think, but you bring up a really interesting point about everyone is kind of different position this year than last year. And obviously than the year before, as far as where they're at with their manufacturing capacity and where they're at with their inventory. And everyone has turned business development back on for a while there. It's like, we can't take on any new dealers. And now everyone's like, look, we got product. We'll take on new people. And so, yeah, I think you're starting to see a lot of um, interest. I'm not sure if we've seen a lot of movement yet as far as switching brands or bringing on extra brands that you didn't already do during the pandemic. But I think you're right. I think there's going to there's a lot of feeling out in that respect and people are trying to figure out where do I want to land over the next couple of years? And is this a good time to make some changes? Yeah, I think I've always felt it's the job of the field reps to get the business for manufacturers and the job of the manufacturers to keep the business. And during, and I've always believed that the repping industry and the hot tub industry, it's though it's our big, small industry, it's really relationship-based. And there's a lot of these long-term relationships that have gone on. During COVID, a lot of those relationships were tested. It's like being at home with your family. Like the, how many marriages? Absolutely. Whatnot. So there's been some there's been some changes and some reevaluations of marketplace. The dealers that focus on solvency, who have like really worked on not taking the head product, not buying Ferraris and whatnot, and putting it into their companies and businesses and growing it. But we and have seen a few a few Ferraris. <laughs> seen the flip side. We've seen this instant money that's come along and how, how dealers have handled the influx and becoming more intimate with their sales staff and drawing their business. I heard a lot of conversations at the show related to that about how now it's back to normal. You've mm -hmm. had sales staff that excel during the COVID time, maybe because of product, and other veterans that kind of stabilized and evened out in there, now they have to get back to work. And 
I saw like almost hugs in the aisles of people that are like, oh, we're back to building our business the way we used to. And I'm a little bit more to that. I like the work of it um, and where it's going forward. So I know that's a pretty broad, like a lot of information there. But- yeah, no, but I'm glad this is why I like having people like you in the podcast, because that's something that you can say that if I have a manufacturer on or even a dealer, they necessarily they can't necessarily say that sometimes or be that blunt about how things are shaking out and evening out. And I've I've asked manufacturers about people changing and everyone's like, no, everyone's happy. It's great. And you're like, My, it's, I know it's not. So it's good to have someone who's you've seen the other side of it. And you're like, no, there's some discontent. And some of these long-term relationships are maybe not going to survive this. They might need to break up at this point. Yeah, there's a, you know, I think some of it is breakup. Uh, sometimes it's re-engaging. It's sure. Yeah. Like going to marriage counseling. It's yeah. like weird reconnecting and refocusing. I think what, regardless of where you fell, like during, as a retailer, where you fell, you now know where you stand. Mm -hmm. I know where those relationships are. I know where I need to go. I know how I need to evaluate and move this direction or structure myself where I'm not going to get caught like that. Because though there were a lot of retailers that had some outstanding success during COVID, there were some good retailers that were on the opposite side of that, watching everybody, maybe because of market, maybe because of their manufacturer yeah. and those types of things, or their strategy of how they handled inventory, had to reevaluate all of those things going forward. Yeah. And then we have the fun of projecting, where is it going now? And where is, are we going to be 2008 level? Or are we going to be more 2001 to 2012? The different, where does it mirror to past right. years? Yeah, that's the thing. People talk about being things getting back to normal and oh, things are starting to slow down and it's slow and all that. But I always my my follow up question that always is compared to what? Is it slow compared to 2020 or is it slow compared to 2019? Because if it's slowed compared to 2020, that's probably or 2021, that's probably good because we needed it to slow down some like we couldn't keep up that pace. If it's slow compared to 2019, 2018. All right, then we're starting to see like an actual slowdown versus I guess what we'd maybe call a correction, right? Sure. I I, I have a couple different philosophies in there. And one of them is Better products. I think a lot of businesses are going to be focusing more on services, the Shirky principle, things of that nature, yeah. where the business needs to go, uh, and avoiding uh, the race to the bottom. That's a commonality that we hear a lot now because we look at other downturns, and I hesitate. I'm bold enough, I guess, to say we're coming into the downturn side mm-hmm. where so many manufacturers have had meeting after meeting on Monday and then changed it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday during the week the past couple of years. We want to avoid that. I look at embracing it. If we know where the market's going, what our products are doing, where they stand, then let's focus on innovation. Let's focus on better products. We've seen some products that have come and gone over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, And my belief is when the end user, you know, gets a, uh, in our, our industry, we're establishing need. Do you need this product or not? And if they get it as a whim because we have kids at home and we need a pool in the backyard and they have tons of maintenance or all the things that go wrong in the hot tub world, yeah. they're never in our industry again. They're like, yeah. we don't want that. But if we embrace the better products and go the opposite direction, then we have customers for life. I think there'll be more focus on that. I think pre-COVID, there was a larger focus. There were the better water care products and different 
better filtration systems, better innovation. Right. That went on hold because of need. I did see uh, the segue over. I did see more dealers directly talking to OEM, to part suppliers, trying to fill those gaps of all the products they brought in during COVID, yeah. made solutions for themselves in those. There's a lot of segues there, Megan. So I know. Can... Yeah, I know. I think I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with product. So I'm curious what, to be perfectly honest, I did not get to see the whole show floor because that aisle time, like you said, is a real thing. And I didn't get to spend as much time in some of the booths as I would have liked. So I can only tell you what I saw. I'm sorry if your product was cooler than the ones we talk about. I'm sorry sure. if I didn't see it. <laughs> like we just, it was so busy. But what, were there some products out there that you saw that were interesting for the hot tub guys? I definitely have a couple in mind. For the hot tub guys, I thought not to segue one to, to another, give anybody a favor, though I didn't spend a lot of time in there. I think uh, Marquis, uh, I'm going to call it diverter valve for lack of a better term, but just to simplify yeah. Uh, so it's not used against me in the future. Was there, I saw Strong Spas reinventing what Clearwater did years ago and CalSpa did with their uh, pack assortment systems. Clearwater also had a nice still looking product, which has been hit by some other brands that I, that jumped out. Just hiding the jets, the cleaner look. I haven't yeah. seen Working that's, on that. that's definitely the one that stuck out to me just as far as aesthetics that it just looked that hot tub looked pretty cool i was into it <laughs> and, and i think that's really because in our industry that's what we lack a lot of it's just something that grabs people and goes oh i want that in my backyard yes. i saw a lot of uh business as usual stuff which i think is on track with just nobody could get products so i don't mm -hmm. think any manufacturers are spending a lot of time in R&D. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do feel like they're, I do feel like the floodgates are going to open to your point earlier. Like I think that innovation is, I think we've got a lot of pent up innovation at the manufacturers. I think they're tired of punching out spas and are ready to do something new and something cool. So I, the things that I saw that were interesting, which agree with the ones that you brought up for sure, that marquee diverter valve is pretty great. Also, I, so the Clearwater hot tub, was just, it was super cool. It looked great. We'll do a story about it in the magazine at some point, I'm sure, once they get closer to actual production on it. So that was great. Um, Bull, Bullfrog had like redone, a, had completely redone a line. And that was one of the booths I didn't get to spend as much time in as I would have, as I would have liked. They always come to the show big and bold. They've always got something new to show. And this time it was like, oh, hey, we've redone this entire line of spas. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. They're definitely driving innovation, like regardless of where you find yourself as a retailer is like him or not like them, they are pushing forward in a direction. And I think the industry as a whole needs more of that. Whether mm -hmm. you're experimenting, your R&D is developing, you're absorbing ideas and testing them out and doing something different rather than just business as usual mm -hmm. is great yeah. for us in general. Yeah. Jacuzzi came out at a big way at the show. They had huge booths for all their brands. And th again, that was another one that I just did not have time to spend as much looking around and seeing what they had that was new. But they definitely, you can't say they didn't make a statement, right? Like they they showed up in a big way and all of their people were there. Dave Jackson spoke at the opening the opening e event. So yeah, they were they came to play. I got some time to to spend with them at the Hydro Pool meeting and some of those and work with a lot of the great jacuzzi retailers. They definitely came to play, definitely showed I 
I'm not going to say as much of new things out there, but we do what we do well, reinventing. And then also something that I've been pounding into a lot of people that don't race to the bottom. Let's stay with the good products. These are tried and true products that are going to keep the industry around for a long time. And they're one of the manufacturers. There's a few of them out there that have really worked with their dealers in the past couple of years to stay solvent. And you'll hear me say that a lot in the mm-hmm. hot tub world mm-hmm. to manage your months and monies. And here's how we're going forward. Here's how you leverage it to your product. Here's how you stay relevant in your marketplace and worked with their markets say, okay, this market's different. This market's different. All OEMs are going to have a rep out there. If they've done the due diligence, they're putting a rep out there that understands the market that they represent their territory. Some of the companies as a whole really get good content and content is so hard to drive. I think Jacuzzi is one of the best at that. Watkins, of course, and Bullfrog and some of these companies. The Monami uh, acquisitions with Nordic coming on board. Uh, yeah, that was the big news. Like the morning of the show, it was like, surprise, we were all big one. We're all one big happy family, Marquis, Artesian, and now Nordic. Yeah. And I think the handling the channel conflict, kind of like when Caldera came on with Watkins and having that movement yeah. of product. In the end, I think it's going to be good. Those are good products. They're aligned. It is interesting uh, for me on the outside is when I find these products align with different dealers. And that's one of the fun spots of being where I am is we can just comment on these things. I'm working with dealers and they're, they're dealing with this. And yeah, OEMs and uh, manufacturers always say, we've never heard that before. We've never seen that before, but yeah, we know mm-hmm. that. Uh, yeah, they have. <laughs> hey, I understand sometimes there are things you can't say on the record. That's fine. You and I get to. Why we get to walk into all the camps. because Exactly. You know, we don't say the certain things, we hear certain things and we're just like, nah, I never heard yeah, that. Yeah, we know, we know what to keep our mouths shut on. We know what we can talk about in generalities. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was, I feel like that was going to be maybe the next thing I brought up was that was the Nordic acquisition. Yeah. And all three of those guys were there and in a big way, which we hadn't seen Marquis in particular at the show for, man, I don't know, for 2009, maybe it's been a really long time. We didn't see the little Cadillac or the little car out there. I know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Everything, But the product, the product looked good. I see some faces. It was, I truth be told, did not make it through every booth, like every year religiously, I walk through all the booths and spend time. My good friend at Spa Marvel broke his tibia. So I was going to go by and just stop by and see the girls at the booth and check in on them. It took me to the end of the day or the first day to make it to the booth just to get there. It was that that was disheartening for me because I really like to digest every, every little product. Yeah. No, as we were leaving, we had packed up our booth. We were heading out to go get lunch and or dinner i don't know what time of day it was (laughs) but there was a booth that had seriously been i could see it from our booth the entire time and i hadn't and as i was walking by i was like oh wait a second this is not what i thought it was and i was like how is it they were even so close and i still have no idea what's going on in here how would you compare the size of this show to past shows and i know that this exhibitor space has been on the decline over the last few years like even pre-pandemic but this i don't know it felt big to me what did you think i would say it reminded me of 2006 year and for the first few years of me doing the spa show I did it more as an independent sales rep and then as a dealer. So as a dealer, I didn't really get 
the time because there were when you go as a dealer, you're getting all your meetings with the manufacturers yes. and there's an agenda. Yes. And that was size wise, I would compare most to 2006. I think in 2008 is when we started seeing yeah. in my memory the decline. And then it's probably why it felt really big to me is because that's when I started, right? It was that 2008 time. So that's all I've, all I've known. <laughs> and it makes a difference. I, uh, I worked that year on the manufacturing side in 2008. I would say size-wise is about that. It's definitely not. And then prior to 98, I can't really say, but, but I always have the hearsay of this is... It's always, it was always bigger and better before we came along. I did see a little bit more presentation. And what I mean by that is I've noticed that at home shows and fairs, when I started in the industry, everybody put on their best display. Every booth was immaculate. There were little plastic cups and, mm -hmm. and, and gazebos and all the things that really drew people in. And in, in the past few years, I've seen a lot of just booths set up, no fanfare, just mm -hmm. on the asphalt, which to me is disheartening. I put a lot of effort in my booths and different things and creating a show. And I saw a little bit more presentation this year. It seemed like everybody was putting out their best effort, so to speak. That's a, yeah, that's a great point. Cause I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I do feel like the last few years, again, this is not across the board, but the hot tub manufacturers that did come to the show. Yeah. It wasn't an all out thing. And I think every booth this year had something about it. That was like, you could tell they put a lot of effort and thought and marketing behind. And then again, you can only speculate. Is that driven by, hey, we need to sell product. We're leveraged. There are a lot of conversations about lead times, which you would expect after COVID. Really quick lead times, really quick ship programs. We have this product ready to go, that product ready to go. It could be somewhat facilitated by that. It creates drive. But as a whole, I was happy to see it. You've mentioned the race to the bottom a couple of times and talking about international product that's coming in. To the United States, I'd say that was the other thing about the show this year is that there were some really big hot tub booths of some non-US based manufacturers, which I'm not one to say whether that's good or bad, but that is that was an interesting thing. And I think the thing that surprised me about that was the conversations I heard from dealers around it. Basically, they are saying that um, they specifically came to the show to check out the foreign product and that they were surprised at how on par it was with quality of what they were seeing in the U S. And so that was interesting too, where it's, I think in years past, it's like, okay, well it's, you know, that you could, you could sell that, but it's a subpar product. And it seems like that is maybe it's getting to the point where it's switching and you're seeing some, some better engineering and meeting of the standards and all of the things that go into that from overseas. I don't know. That's maybe one we, we don't want to step on too hard. <laughs> and, and I think it's I think it's a two multifaceted thing. We are a global economy, so the idea that hey everything comes from here. Now even today we look at all the U.S. manufacturers, where do all components come from and whatnot. It's a name to believe that things don't come from other places. A lot of the innovation, and I remember in 2008 when I was repping Europe, I was in Switzerland, and a dealer brought me in and said, "Mike, come look at this product, pick it apart for me." I remember looking at it and thinking some of the things, hey, these companies are on their way. There, there are twofold. We've seen the foreign product, I call them imports rather than pick on somebody, yeah. infiltrate the European market. And then currently we see a 
really large swing with the heat pumps and all the discussion for energy efficiency for Europe and the yeah. shutdowns. Yes. That were a lot of that scuttlebutt at the PSP this year. And I remember in the 2007, 2008, when the hot tub industry had their kind of go RV campaigning plan, like right about the beginning when you came in yep. and that went away and went for advocacy against the CEC. I'm, I shouldn't say against the CEC, but right. the CEC to set standards and whatnot. And we look at the product that was sold at that time was not efficient. It wasn't efficiency wasn't preached at all or environment, any of the things that are prevalent factors in today's economy going forward mm -hmm. green. These things just weren't even talked about. But now my curiosity with HR 2454 and with the CEC Title 20, these on the outside, the first time buyers, how many jets, how many pumps, what's the price? They have that. Will they meet the standard underneath the hood? Will states start enforcing, like Washington State, California, Connecticut, start really enforcing energy efficiency laws or, or whatnot? Those are the questions in my mind. Sure. Uh, a lot of the sales guys that talk to me, they they put their fingers in their ears. They're like, I want plausible denial. I don't want I don't want to know what, what yeah. Mike knows, but in the long run, I guess where I'm going with that is, will those metrics be met or is it just mm -hmm. getting into the marketplace of right. um, products? There's some service sides. I did have a number of conversations with the retailers who are searching down parts and whatnot. There's plumbing, yeah. that's offset sizes and jets and different components that come and go. There's going to be a new focus too on aligning yourself with partners and parts and things down the road so you can provide good service. Yeah. Those are some different metrics. Yeah. But there were definitely a lot of those companies that were highly leveraged with product looking to move. And I think that's the other, that's the other part of that too. And the heat pump was something I also wanted to talk about. I'm not sure that your average dealer here in the U.S. realizes really what's happening to the hot tub market in Europe at right now. And yeah, a lot of these imports that were going into Europe, they have nowhere to go now. And so it's they're looking for a place to sell their product and they're going to look here. So you're going to start seeing more of it because they have to get they've just they got too much stuff and they have nowhere to send it right now. Yeah, I'm hearing uh, significant numbers. Yeah. Like Numbers that manufacturers don't manufacture a year that they're sitting on. And that's money. And then you also have the side of dealers. One one thing that might resist it in the U.S. market, I don't know personally, I'm sure there are some out there, but retailers that are not sitting on a good amount of inventory or, and for the better OEMs, they have their retailers set up with you have inventory and you have it in queue. So you're not going to get caught right. like before. So right. That'll resist some of it. Then you'll have the, with supply and demand, does the margin drop? Do they divert that to box stores? Push it down because some of the box stores were suffering with product and they lost market share and now they're going to look to regain it. And there's a part of the, I'm going to call it the, maybe I shouldn't name this big retailer name, but there's a mentality for some of the big retailers that, that are out there. It's just sales. Just move it through. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I was encouraged hearing you talk about retailers looking for parts partners and things like that because that is that is someone who's thinking long term in the business, right? They're not just they're not just trying to make a buck today and not worry about tomorrow. They're actually out there to take care of their customers and help the entire industry stay relevant. <laughs> and there, there's a lot to be said about 
creating a price ladder and somebody comes in with a budget and having right. Here's the steps to it as well. There's also a lot to be said is that sometimes you don't want to sell the consumer. Like sometimes it's better for everybody if we don't. And I know retailers, I hate to hear that sentiment. It should be a product for everybody, but uh, there's there's damage that can be done. And finding where profit is, where being good for everybody wins and that structure, that mm -hmm. dynamic between consumer, you making good profits where you can stay in business and provide service, grow your business and resist. Again, that I use that term a lot. I've used it for many years, the race to the bottom philosophy, yeah. selling the cheapest product. Years ago as a retailer, I brought on a product line. I'm not going to mention them. They're not around anymore. We sold a lot of it. It had all the, I can give you this many jets, this many pumps, this much price. And in the back end, I don't have hair. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stress from right. that. Time. Yeah. And dealers that focus on the long-term, on providing the products and service for what they sell, whether that's your store that does it regionally and has more service guys out there or your one big multiple brick and mortar stores, there's a couple different ways to do it. As long as the end result is the same, then mm -hmm. our industry will thrive from that. It's scary times a little bit, I think, because we're at a, we're at the, we're at a time where there's some of the dealers that haven't been solvent that are using different flooring accounts and whatnot. And now it's sliding down and those interest rates are going to pop up and they're going to be forced to turn. So we don't usually see a price decrease in the spa industry. Does right. the, the, the import companies use that as their leverage? Hey, let's get in. It'll be interesting to see where that goes in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we're, I feel like we're going to need like a nine month catch up later and see <laughs> what actually happened after all this. But I did want to talk about the heat pumps because that was something that, um, I wasn't really, honestly, was not really on my radar until the last couple of months. And now it's, I feel like it's all I hear people talking about is the ability to use a heat pump with a hot tub and the added energy efficiency that you can get from that. And then how that sort of ties into the energy crisis in Europe and some of these new, I almost said restrictions, these new, I don't even know what to call it, but laws, mandates, standards. There you go. Standards. I think that's the one I was looking for. Standards that are coming down the pike as far as keeping hot tubs as efficient as possible. I think where you fall on that nomenclature is where it was it forced on you or I know. Or, that's why I was having that's why I was having a hard time. The technology has been around for a long time. There haven't right. yeah. been a lot of products out there that can handle the cold. Some of the areas where they're gonna be the most not a lot of heat a lot of heat pumps that can handle the cold, you mean? Okay lower temperatures and whatnot yeah. and where they would be really good they also have the chilling aspect of that capacity right. for some spas in south like phoenix and whatnot and i remember testing some the necessities the mother of invention or however that goes yeah this technology being around and i'm not in the back doors with gecko or balboa or whoever i remember bringing some in years ago and, and testing them out and now with all this they've taken that technology and okay we're gonna we're gonna apply it it's always there's been a number of heat pumps that you could hook up to Balboa or Gecko equipment. There's just some different things you did to trick the board or whatnot. Now those companies have embraced it. They are efficient. They, there's a number of goods that come from them outside of the eyesore of them on my right. side. Yes. Yeah. You know, no one looks at them and goes, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Is that so? Well, let me ask you. So they've all the ones I've seen have been outside the cabinet. Is that does it have to be that way? 
Uh, that's all I've ever seen as well. Me too. Uh, so I don't know if there's any, I don't know the whys or hows of it needing to be on the outside of the cabinet. But yeah, it definitely looks like your AC unit sitting next to your house. <laughs> I think we're going to go ahead and coin intellectual property on that right now, Megan, because they're, they're definitely all outside. There's some breathing and space that they need sure. um, because of the nature of the machine itself. But that is an area of invention that should be targeted because mm-hmm. if you can find a place to put that, have it more inside, not separate in any method. That's science that people will buy. Yeah, absolutely. I will say one one cool thing that I did see was, speaking of imports, Wellis had made this step to go to hide the heat pump. So that was interesting. Like it was functional and it gave enough of the, had a lot of things where it could vent from this step, but it made it so it looked a little bit more tied in. So I was like, I thought that was an interesting idea. I saw a core and their sister company had some cabinets that were uh, looking good. And it's funny now that John Olson is retiring because I was going to, yeah. here's your next thing, John. John is someone I, over the years, I've always found myself like, like yourself, like we find ourselves at these different areas like of that. Of course. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and, it's, and that was one of the things too, that at the show, AMB brought a lot of the accessories in the jacuzzi booths, booth, and they, and that, that was looking, that product was looking pretty good too. His, his products always, his products always have always been an advocate of cleaning up the plastic of the hot tub world. In the grand scheme, that's one our one drawback. At the end of the day, in the field, that's what we end up arguing with the most is the overall look. Sorry to not drop his name. The guy with the out of Dallas with the insert molds, I thought those were pretty interesting. The spas that partially in ground the extension. I need to look up his name. It's oh man, pop- yeah, this is one. I don't think I, I don't know if I saw this one. Yeah, he basically makes uh, the molds. There's been a few different companies that have done it. I thought his popped out a little bit better. It's going to pop in my head here in about five minutes. I, yeah, no, I, I understand. This is why we gave that disclaimer at the beginning, right? Like, don't fact check us on this. We're going to forget. Was That wasn't the one that had the kind of the natural looking rock. Correct. That was that. It was over. over. By us. <laughs> that was the one that as I was leaving the show, I was like, wait a second. This isn't what I thought it was. And I had to kind of take a second look at it. And I actually took a picture because they were tearing down. I actually took a picture of their badge that I would remember to look it up when I got back when I got back home. I do recall it was Stuart Dunn is the owner and the founder of that. Got it. But uh, I you don't know how many spa retail because it's really that hybrid between the pool and the spa guy and requires some built in. And then a lot of the spa world really resists. We, we don't want to do any construction. Yeah. Anything more than here, here's. I'll deliver it. Yeah. We're the appliance sales. And then when you look at the companies that are little more turnkey and do those things they do really well and they're really profitable and but still it's just i think on that note a little side note there which i'm really known for my side notes is the people like we're i think we're going to get back to where we're finding good people there's those ebbs and flows in society where the workers and everybody has their opinion on people worked harder when i was a kid or this or not you know everyone everyone hates on us millennials i gotta say there's the change there's also like quality of life and not to get on a really side note, but mental health and all these things that just yeah. weren't around when I was a kid. It felt, I know they were there, but nobody really talked about yeah, it. Yeah. We weren't talking about it like as a society, Michael Phelps wasn't getting up on a stage talking about his mental health and what he does to help himself in that area. Though that's yeah. not what we talked about. <laughs> that was, that was actually fun to be a part of when you were there. That was, I wasn't expecting that direction, but that's such yeah. a great platform to use that to, 
the people that can make a difference. That's pretty good. Though I have a Florida State emblem on the back. I'm a refugee from Alabama. So like it really wasn't talked about much there. Yeah. It's a joke. But uh, yeah, I think in products and whatnot to the overall, there wasn't a lot that really excited me. It takes a little bit to really. Well, we've been doing this for a while, right? And so we've seen things come and go. We've seen tubs show up at the show that never actually get made. We've seen it all. Right. <laughs> And I think too, I like to look at the metrics of when a product is launched. Like most products, when they're launched, you'll see it take up a pretty large part of the SKU offering because it's new. Reps say, we have this new product, let's make a bunch that gets out in the field. Does it have staying power? Does it really move off the floor? And if it moves off the floor, was it pushed? Was it, you'll find pockets of dealers that sell double loungers is a really large part of their product offering. And everyone else is what? Double loungers? And then then I look at some of those things as saying everybody else is selling a seven foot lounger with 30 to 40 jets. And it's just, it's all the same. So people want something different. Make something different. Is it relevant? Does it stay? I like to look at those things and see where does it go in the long term, And then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely talking about what's cool that we saw. Yeah, do we know if any of it's going to sell? No. The predictors, when you can predict those things, that's what makes your knowledge relevant. And that's my take. Hey, yeah. you know, some guys can shoot from the hip and go, that'll never sell. And then some guys are like, oh, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's, you mentioned, did it sell because it was pushed? That's it a lot of times, right? If the dealer or the salespeople have excitement about it, there's a lot more chance that they'll actually be able to sell that product than if they aren't, yeah, a lot of it is a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy too, right? The emotional transfer from the seller to the buyer, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so I, the last thing about the show, this year, it was at the new Las Vegas Convention Center instead of Mandalay Bay. I had never been to the old Las Vegas Convention Center. I've only... Anytime I've been to, in Vegas for work, which is, I guess, the only time I've ever been in Vegas, it's been it's at it's been at Mandalay Bay. So this was a bit of a bit of a switch and a new venue. What did you think of that? At first, I just truth be told, might have booked a hotel at a different hotel originally, just okay. without even looking, thinking there's no way it can be anywhere else. I've worked at other events and all over Vegas over the years in different capacities on the retail side, so I'm familiar with all of them. I thought the facility was clean and easy to get to. I was admiring the Tesla tunnel, even though we didn't get to go in it or whatnot. Oh, I took the Tesla tunnel. It's, okay. Yeah. Just with time, I did not. I yeah. was like, oh, there's that thing. I want to go in a Tesla tunnel. There's some parts that I liked about it than the just walking. I'm not a big casino person. On my personal side, I like that it was over here. We're going into business. Mm-hmm. There's not smoke. There's not all the... There's not all that, yeah, all that side. I thought the facility was, was nice and I probably liked it more than Mandalay Bay personally. No, I, yeah, I agree. It was really, it was very nice and clean and big and new and everything was fresh and I didn't ever eat there. So I can't comment on if the food was better or worse or anything, because apparently when I go to the show, I fast <laughs> on accident. You don't have time to your walking miles and you just don't have time to eat. You don't. Most of the times we'd get home and I'd be like, or home, we'd get back to the hotel and I'd be like, Oh, I haven't eaten today. <laughs> so there, there were parts that are a little bit indifferent. I don't know if there's one to the other. Yeah. Uh, I like that you Uber there, you're in the facility. It's not walking, which I love to walk, but the just miles and miles of Mandalay Bay to Luxor to this and all the things that are around there. Yeah. It's, everyone wants to have a meeting yeah. over here. Over 
I did spend a lot more money on Ubers than I have ever in the past in Vegas. So that was, that was, it is what it is. But I was like, really? <laughs> Just 20 bucks to get two blocks. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, and I did ride in a lot of Teslas because apparently there's a bunch of Tesla Ubers that nobody owns, which was odd to me. But So where did you end up staying since you weren't staying where you originally booked? Or did you end up there and have to drive? I ended back? up at the, uh, the Alara, the Hilton. Okay, okay. Yeah, we, our team stayed at Resorts World, which is also fairly new. And so that was interesting. It was fine. I feel like, I don't know, all the Vegas casinos feel the same to me. Yeah, it was a so. little bit. I had a pretty full schedule and then I flew out to do a show. So it was pretty In and out. Yeah, and, I, and it was nice for me at this particular show because I really didn't have any missions other than absorb. I really, unlike a lot of people, really want to see the new products and really want to mm -hmm. go through it. I usually end up yeah. with that entourage for lack of better term as we walk through and then most people that usually just give up about partway they were like okay we'll see you later because i i want to go through and right yeah get everything or whatnot i think we'll through time we'll see like how at the end of the day is this the mm -hmm. best venue or whatnot but i'm not a, i'm not opposed for it going back to the convention. yeah well it will be it's going to be back there again next year so that's that's exciting i kind of like having that consistency just from an operational standpoint, honestly. The thing about next year, though, is so they're going to have it on a, it's going to be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which is a switch. But the reason why is because the first ever F1 race in Vegas is happening that same week at the end of the week. And so they were saying that it got so unaffordable once F1 hit Vegas that they had to do it earlier in the week instead of at the end of the week because otherwise we would all be priced out because my brother-in-law sent me a, a package we could buy at the win for when F1 is there for a million dollars. Yeah, it's funny how many people reference that package. Like I was with a number of- Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that brought up that same package. And you're like, you know, it's just a million dollars. Yeah, we could all go in on it together and we could just bunk, bunk together in this big, we could have the whole industry could just like cram itself into one room at the win. I don't know what we're going to do about sharing tickets to actually see the race, but- <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. I think on today's world, we could just make a little large trench and stack ourselves. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, why not? I'm sure nobody, I'm sure nobody would notice at all. Exactly. Are you an F1 fan? F1 is, I, I spend most of my time on Braves baseball in Florida State. That's fair. So I have, there's so many hobbies with like skydiving and bungee jumping and all the things that I have to go, okay, there's only so much you can't be a fan of everything. I understand. There are we do have time limits in our day. I I've started paying attention to F1. I'm not sure I would call myself a fan, but yeah, Bonotto is out at Ferrari this week. Like it's a big deal. <laughs> you never know, like when you might have a disposable million dollars. Right. Yeah. Publishing is a really lucrative industry, so I I should definitely do that. <laughs> if you do have a million dollars to spend on something that is not frivolous, like going to F1, that yeah. level. You want to know who you're talking to. You know, 100%, you definitely, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. This was fun. We got into, a, there was a lot more to talk about than I even realized that we would get into. So that was great. I like that we flew from the hip. That was great. We wouldn't have it any other way around here at the uh, Spot Retailer Podcast. <laughs> great. All right, was, well, uh, yeah, it was good to see you. Thanks a lot, Mike. Have a good one.